I'm Vibha Ravi, Senior Editor with Sightline for Script and Pink Sheet. Joining me today is May May, CEO of Vaccinity, which was formed by combining two offshoots of United Biomedical, United Neuroscience and COVAX on March 2nd, 2021. The biotech is aiming to tackle chronic diseases with its peptide-based vaccines, and the company listed on NASDAQ roughly this time last year. It has most recently completed enrollment for a phase three trial of its COVID vaccine, UB612. This vaccine could be of special interest to developing countries, and we will talk a bit about that later during the podcast. First, let's welcome her. It's a pleasure to speak to one of the few women CEOs out there. Hello, it's, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about, you know, the, you have multiple products in development. We'll start by talking about UB311, your anti-amyloid beta immunotherapeutic vaccine, which has been granted fast track designation by the US FDA. So how many years has it been in development and how far away does a commercial entry seem to you? So Viva, um, you know, our technology has been in development for over two decades. Uh, originally conceived out of Rockefeller University and, you know, it's achieved a number of scientific and industrial milestones along the way. Um, so today, UB311 is is basically closing in on our last phase of development. And, you know, our next planned phase 2B or phase 2B3 has the potential to be a pivotal study, which means um, we hope that we can get it to patients in the imminent future. Right. So would you have some idea of how many months away that would be? So Alzheimer's disease is, um, you know, a long, uh, slow progressing disease. And so these trials typically take um, about 18 months. So in all told, this will be a few years until the next study finishes and completes. So imminent in the land of drug development, uh, everything is relative. So for, for us, I think we're at the last phase of development. And so we, we hope to have it uh, within the next few years. There are multiple vaccines against Alzheimer's in the works, right? So while the approach could arguably, uh, I mean, the approach that vaccinity is taking could arguably be superior to other therapeutics, how does the vaccine compare with vaccines from, say, Ariclon Biotech, Axon Neuroscience and AC Immune? So the things that are important when you look at a vaccine and its technology is, you know, it's important to see what is the response in patients, right? How many patients are actually developing titers? Um, how much antibody are these patients developing? And what are the quality of the antibodies that they're developing? And these components uh, will ultimately factor into, you know, the, the clinical science of efficacy. So I guess the most relevant comparison right now for efficacy would be lecanemab. Uh, and they saw... Uh, reported a 27% reduction in, in CDR sum of boxes. Um, so, you know, in our phase 2A, uh, we saw about a 50% slowing and decline um, of these cognitive endpoints. So you look at a, a vaccine as, as a safe, convenient, effective uh, alternative with a number of other advantages, particularly after going, you know, being able to go after the disease in a more prevention state. Uh, but ultimately, you look at the clinical efficacy. Yes, while COVID vaccines saw the quickest approvals, 
Regulatory bodies might be a little more circumspect when it comes to Alzheimer's therapeutics, especially given the Adyohan experience. What is your reading on the willingness to grant a EUA or an emergency use authorization to such vaccines? So I think regulators around the world have uh, demonstrated a willingness to support areas of great unmet need, right? It's not just COVID, but it is also in neurodegeneration and in neurological diseases. So anytime there's a great event need, I think there's an opportunity um, to work with regulators hand in hand. So, you know, with a safe, effective and low cost vaccine, I think, you know, there's a, a huge opportunity to be able to accelerate authorization to address one of the craziest unmet medical needs in the in the world still. Definitely neurological diseases, I mean, new, neurodegenerative diseases, rather Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. They do remain a point of concern for large populations around the world. The mode of vaccine administration is shifting from intramuscular to nasal or say to, you know, more convenient forms. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's one such uh, vaccine by being developed by the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. So do you plan to develop <coughs> a nasal version of your vaccines? And does the expertise exist in-house? If not, do you intend partnering for access to this technology or a required adjuvant? So ultimately, you always put the patient first, right? So you think about what is the most advantageous to the patient um, beyond safety, efficacy, or uh, first and foremost, but beyond that, convenience. And of course, safe, effective vaccines or medicines don't matter unless they're accessible. So, you know, we're constantly exploring ways to increase access and improve uh, overall outcome for patients. And this mode of administration is, is definitely one of those items. Generally speaking, if we don't have the expertise in-house, we absolutely think about partnering. There's no need to reinvent the wheel or, uh, and there's so many synergies that can be had and multiplied with partners. So I think it's a very important point that you raise. Our current vaccine is intramuscular and it seems to be uh, rather uh, good safety and tolerability and, and convenience. Uh, but in the future, there's definitely ideas to to develop other versions um, that are even more advantageous for patients. So moving on to the other candidate, UB312 against Parkinson's. Um, clinicalrise.gov shows a phase one trial planned in Netherlands, which is active but doesn't show as recruiting. So what's the latest there and does, how does place like Netherlands compare to say Korea for such trials? So our, our UB312 study, uh, we finished the part A a little while ago, and then it was uh, paused during COVID. But we recently, at the beginning of the year, um, began enrolling again for the part B, which is in Parkinson's patients. And it has completed enrollment, and we expect to have uh, data readout before the end of the year. We pick sites that are you know, centers of excellence uh, and have the expertise that are necessary to conduct studies. So for this one, we have a, a great partner in the in the Netherlands, and it's not to say that it doesn't exist elsewhere, uh, such as Korea, but it is. Um, we're very happy with our, our collaborators. And you expect readouts before the end of 2022? We should be reading out before the end of the year. Okay, now since you're considering also the, its use against GLB and MSA, could you run parallel trials for these two, or you want to take it one at a time and a parallel approach would not rep represent an advantage here? So I think here we, we want to stay focused and uh, show what we need to, to show. Kind of the, the objectives of our phase one are to show that we can safely generate 
antibodies uh, in patients and that those antibodies um, have the quality and, and will uh, that we want that target the aggregated forms of alpha synuclein. So while in the future, uh, I think that there can definitely be an expansion into both Lewy body dementia and even earlier stage Parkinson's and you know pre-Parkinson's, uh, at the moment, we are focused on our current 312 trial as is. So personally, I find UB313, the vaccine against migraine, very interesting. From what I've read, it teaches your body to produce specific antibodies that target and suppress CGRP, which plays an important role in one of the migraine pathways. What benefits could vaccinities vaccine offer over CGRP inhibitor drugs? But migraine is such an interesting and fascinating indication. You know, it, it's actually really a population health um, issue. It affects over a billion people worldwide. And interestingly, it disproportionately affects women. So CGRP is a, is a new mechanism that has shown great efficacy um, by its predecessor MABs and, and small molecules. Uh, but where, you know, UB313 really has a potential to usurp this is uh, in being the first choice for migraineurs everywhere, right, to prevent migraines going forward. And given the, the convenient dosing paradigm and the accessibility of a vaccine approach, you can imagine that it would become first-line treatment for preventing of migraines. You can always add acute therapies on top of that uh, for any breakthrough migraines, but you know the idea would be how do you become the first-line treatment and the preferred mode to seek relief for migraineurs everywhere, and I mean on a global basis. So while it could potentially present a cost-benefit and a durability of response, it will take some time to prove that. So uh, from what I see, a phase one study in Belgium is recruiting, and the start date shows as 6 July and a primary completion date of August 2023. So by when do you expect readouts from this trial? Your information is absolutely correct. We expect uh, a readout from this mid next year. And one of the interesting things about uh, CGRP, as with PCSK9, is that there is a very effective and translatable and provocative challenge model. So even though this is a phase one, we'll actually see the impact that the antibodies and the vaccine uh, has on the actual pathology of CGRP. So we're going to test with the dermal blood flow model how well uh, our vaccine suppresses CGRP. And that has shown in previous studies to be highly translatable to ultimate outcome of migraines. So this will be a very exciting study. Uh, and again, it will be reading out mid next year. Let's move on and talk a bit about the vaccine VXX401 against hypercholesterolemia. I'm assuming the prefix VXX indicates it's the latest addition to your pipeline. So is that right? And what are the plans here? Yeah, this is our exciting new new program um, under the VXX moniker. So, you know, heart disease is unfortunately still the number one killer in the world. It's incredible that it is because this is something that we know how to prevent. So the challenge is, is that even though there are 400 million, 450 million people in the world that are at risk, you know, less than 1% of them are on PCS9 antibodies and over 50% of them uh, are not even on any lipid-lowering therapy. So you have a, a massive disconnect. Even though we know what we need to do to prevent heart disease, we're not doing it. And access, we believe, is one of the, the number one reasons why that's the case. So, you know, this is the, the purpose of VXX401, right? Our vision for this is to vaccinate the world against coronary heart disease. We use a mechanism, 
one of the most effective mechanisms that's been proven by the monoclonals paving our way. And we have, you know, a, a pricing paradigm that will make us competitive with statins around the world. But beyond that, there's the advantages of the convenience of a vaccine. So that increases compliance, which ultimately increases efficacy. So imagine being able to vaccinate large populations earlier in life because of the accessibility. Basically, you have the opportunity to eradicate heart disease as we know it. So could you tell me a little bit bit more about the mechanism here? So does it prevent cholesterol from forming or it trains the body to lower the cholesterol as it builds up? Yeah, so PCSK9 is is a target actually that uh, uh, folks won a Nobel Prize for. And there have been antibodies and siRNA therapies um, already that have shown that um, by knocking down PCSK9, you can reduce LDL cholesterol. And by reducing LDL cholesterol, the cumulative exposure to that over time, you reduce overall risk of heart disease. So the vaccine mechanism works by we teach your body to produce antibodies that target and knock down PCSK9, thereby reducing your LDL cholesterol. So finally, we come to the COVID vaccine UB612 or 612. Phase three trial, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, to evaluate the ability of this vaccine to boost immunity against the original strain and multiple variants of concern, including Omicron, has completed enrolling subjects. So when can preliminary findings be expected and what critical advantages that you see for this vaccine? So UB612 um, is currently completing a heterologous boost study. And what we're testing is that we can boost folks that have been previously immunized by all sorts of other platform vaccines like mRNA, endovirus, or inactivated. And we should be reading out again this by the end of the year. From our initial data from previous studies, we see some potential major advantages, uh, including durability of the antibodies. So one of the challenges right now is that the boosters uh, don't last very long. So it's almost um, like a therapeutic as opposed to a traditional vaccine. You know, our antibody titer half-lives seem to be multifold longer than mRNA uh, and inactivated. So there's a potential that this can have greater durability. Also is the idea of cross-protection against existing and new variants. I think this is incredibly important, especially as the virus continues to mutate. So not just Omicron, but future Omicrons. So we'll be looking at the ability to neutralize across strains. Um, And lastly, this can, is always important, is accessibility. You know, our mission is to democratize health. Uh, We want to serve underserved. There are over 2 billion people, I think, that that still have not had access uh, or gotten vaccinated against COVID. And, you know, we want to make sure that none of it is because of a lack of access. So that's where we we plan and and why we're pursuing our COVID vaccine. Okay, so next vaccinity was to deliver over 140 million doses of UB612 to emerging countries with a focus on India and Latin America. You have a partner in India, Aurobindo, which was to conduct trials of the vaccine, but I believe it didn't really come about due to some hiccups. So has that moved ahead? Have the Indian trials moved ahead as a heterologous booster? And if not, does the agreement with Aurobindo to manufacture for UNICEF and other developing countries still stand? 
So we decided to conduct our phase three um, global platform study in the U.S., in South uh, America, in uh, Panama, as well as in the Philippines and Asia. So those sites will provide full recruitment for the phase three study. We, of course, still have a commitment to producing for developing countries, and we have partners all around the world, including Taiwan, Europe, and the U.S. to help us manufacture um, those vaccines. Okay, so what's the status with the agreement with Aurobindo? Is it terminated? You know, there's no plan to source from them or there is, you know, maybe if you have an additional requirement, it could be considered sometime in the future. Yeah, this is something that we're um, going to continue exploring as the, the market evolves and as our trial continues to read out. Some companies like Pfizer and BioNTech are combining the COVID vaccine with the one for flu. So considering that U.S. citizens take a flu shot annually, it seems, a, I would say, a pragmatic way to expand the sales horizon for the COVID vaccine. Any chance you might also go down this path? You know, I think we're, we're focused on our current trial and, you know, we're actually focused on really developing vaccines for chronic diseases. So it's not to say that it's not a great idea, but this is something that we'd have to evaluate in the future and probably with a partner. Okay. Lastly, do you feel gene therapies have the potential to replace vaccines? You know, I am aware that the cost would be much more than that for a vaccine. But do you think a day might come in the future where that hurdle might be overcome? And do you feel that there's a way that they could replace vaccines sometime in the future? So I think the most important question is in a world where there are almost 8 billion people, what is the most effective way to deliver medicine? When you have population health crises, you know, what's the, the most effective way to deliver something that's safe, effective and convenient? And with respect to gene therapy, I think there's still a lot of questions to be answered, not just on the, the cost and production side, but, you know, what killed the 27 year old man last week in a study? Um, these are still questions that that need to be answered. So I think um, vaccines right now have shown their their incredible value against infectious disease. And now it's our, our task to show the incredible application that they have now for treating and preventing the most common chronic diseases. Yeah, that's your stated mission. So with that comment and that question from Mimi, we come to an end of this podcast. I hope you listeners found it interesting. If you're not already subscribed to our products, you can begin with a free trial by registering on our sites. And our podcasts on a range of topics are freely available on all the popular platforms from Spotify to Apple Podcasts. So do go ahead and give them a listen. Bye for now.